So if you have a Bible, turn to chapter 6 of Daniel. If you don't use, uh, you, we have pew Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 743. 743. And if you don't have a Bible and you're going to use one of those, take it. It is our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible. If you're interested in furthering your knowledge uh, and investigating the Christian faith, we want you to have a Bible to walk away with. And so take that. It's yours. We'll be more than happy to refill those Bibles underneath those chairs. And so turn to Daniel chapter 6. And it is a very famous passage. Whether you grew up in the church or whether you didn't, we all are familiar with this story. It's Daniel in the lion's den. It is why we have this image of a lion as our graphic over this sermon series. Um, we all know about this. But what I want to challenge us this morning is that I think what we know about it or are familiar with it is actually not the point of the story. In some ways, it's actually damaged our faith. And why maybe some of us or some of our friends or people we know have walked away from the Christian faith entirely because of how this passage is preached or how it's taught in Sunday school. And what I want to do for us this morning is be able to look at this passage and understand that it's not about being courageous. Yes, there is something about that, but that's not the point. It's not about having enough bravery, but it's much more about who God is and who God has been for Daniel. And so let's read this together. We're going to skip around a little. We're going to go from verses 1 through 13 and then jump down to verse 20. So let's read this together. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. 
Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now drop, drop down to verse 19. Then at break of day, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your word to us that gives us life, that gives us encouragement, that challenges us, that, Lord, restores us and renews us. And so wherever we are this morning, Lord, I pray that you would use your words, your words alone, not mine, to breathe life into us so that we might become people who will be transformed by the good news of the gospel. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we head into the summer months, into the heat, I don't know about you, I was out at a park yesterday and I was just scalding, exhausted, tired. But with the summer comes one of the greatest pastimes of all time, right? Baseball. And for anyone who has sat under the teaching of me, or maybe if you're new, anything that, with, that regards baseball has to be, has, comes with that, it, the Cubs, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm being careful in how I talk about the Cubs, because I know if I start poorly, none of you will listen, but I'm a huge Cubs fan, and when I think about the Cubs, I always have to go back to 2016, when I was absolutely excited and stoked when the Cubs won the World Series, and many of you probably remember it. And I've shared it multiple times from the pulpit, and I promise this will be the last time I talk about it. I promise. But it was amazing. Game seven. The Cubs were up by three or four runs. Then the Indians, that, like the Cubs do, gave it up, and they tied it up in the bottom of the eighth. Then came this amazing rain delay. Jason Hayward gives this amazing speech to to the players during that rain delay, and they come back to score two runs in the top of the 10th. 
and close it out as Chris Bryant stumbles to the ground and throws it to first to win the first World Series in over 108 years. That's right. Oh, I apologize. That's my sister who's visiting. Now, the argument can be made that the Cubs won that game because of Jason Hayward's great speech or Chris Bryant's throw to first base or the two runs that they scored in the 10th inning. But what I want to argue this morning is that the Cubs won the World Series long before those things happened. It happened five years prior. In 2011, when the Cubs signed Theo Epstein, one of the greatest baseball minds as the president of baseball operations, that was the ticket for hope. That was what finally gave Cubs fans the identity that we needed, that we were no longer losers, but winners. It was what finally gave us the hope for deliverance and victory, that we would one day win a World Series, and lo and behold, five years later, we win it. Now I know, I get texts these days reminding me of where we stand in, the, in our stand, NL standings. I can take it because it was 108 years of suffering, but that's what gives me joy, is remembering that it wasn't just in that game seven that won it. It was five years before. Now, why do I share that story? I think a lot of times we look at the story of Daniel, and we go, the victory for Daniel was in the lion's den. But what I want to argue this morning is it wasn't in the lion's den that God gave Daniel victory. But it was actually in his bedroom. Every single day, three times a day, he would get on his knees and pray to the God of heaven. That's where the victory was. Not in the lion's den as it happened, as it unfolded, but many days, many years before. He's 90 years old now. I know when we read the story, we think of this young Daniel in the lion's den. He's 90 years old. He came as an exile to Babylon when he was just a teenager. And from his time as a teenager, over the course of decades, he grew to understand that prayer was the way to victory that set him up for these moments where he would be found in the lion's den. And what I want to do this morning is briefly look at this story through his prayer. Because that's where the victory was. And I want to find, see it in three ways. Prayer imprisons Daniel, we'll look at. Secondly, prayer calms Daniel. And lastly, prayer delivers Daniel. First, we have to see that prayer is what imprisons Daniel, right? What has happened? Daniel is about to be made ruler over all of Persia. And these satraps and governors and officials do not like that. There's 120 leaders. Then with the 120, there's three great leaders. But Darius is about to make Daniel the top dog. And just like in office politics, if you work in the uh, workplace, you know how office politics go. Knowing that Daniel was going to be made the best, and he was some exiled foreigner, they were jealous. They were angry. And so what do they do? They formulate this 
edict to say, hey, King Darius, let's make this rule that for 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man will be found guilty and will be thrown into the lion's den. And King Darius, being oblivious, naive, goes, sure, let's do it. So for 30 days, they knew that this was the only way they could get to Daniel because we read he was found blameless. There was no fault with him at all. They couldn't do the dirty office politic game. And so the only way they could do it was to go to what hurt him most, was his faithfulness to his God. But Daniel, even knowing the edict that was given, knowing that death was his sentence, he went on his knees and prayed to his God. And by his prayer, we see him go into the lion's den to his death sentence. And what I want us to look at here is that it's through his imprisonment and through his prayer that we see a man who understands who he is. He understands his identity. And what is his identity in? He's an exile. Man, he is a foreigner. He is someone who does not belong. He's a stranger in a foreign land. And that's why when he gets on his knees, we read that he opens up his windows and he faces Jerusalem. Now remember, this is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. It's not like, like the Islam faith where we face Mecca or we face Jerusalem. But this was something that Daniel did. Why? Well, some will argue it's just an aid to his prayer that it would arouse his feelings and be able to help him pray to the God in a place where he was a stranger, a foreigner. But it's more than that. Because what it was, was as he looked to Jerusalem, it was a way of reminding himself of God and his promises. And one of those promises was that God would dwell with his people and make himself known to them, right? It's what we just did in this baptism. It's reminding ourselves of our baptism every single day. Of reminding that God's promise is with us for eternity. That we are his. Nothing could ever take that away. And for Daniel, he looks to Jerusalem. And he prays knowing that as an exiled stranger, as a foreigner in this land, a pagan land, he could still get on his knees and remember God's promises to him. What are those promises? What are, are those promises for us? Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship created in Christ, on doing, created in Christ onto good works. Romans 8, I am a joint heir with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 2, I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. Ephesians 1, I am forgiven of all my sins, past, present, future, and wash in the blood of Christ. Colossians 2, I am firmly rooted, built up, established in my faith, and overflowing with gratitude. Colossians 3, I am chosen of God, holy, dearly loved. 1 John 4.10, I am loved. You see, we live in a world that says our tinsel or our gold is like tinsel. And their tinsel is our gold. 
We live in a very different countercultural worldview. And for us, it is going to our knees and lifting up these prayers to the Lord that helps us focus and remember who we are in Christ. With all the challenges in your workplace and all the challenges in our society, how are we going to remain faithful? We've talked about that through the book of Daniel. But one of those key ways is to go on our knees and look to, quote, unquote, Jerusalem. It's looking to our baptism. It's going to scripture, seeing these landmarks for us that remind us of who we are in Christ. I was in Nashville at the beginning of January. And one of the things that I always do in any city I go to is obviously the food theme. But the other thing I want to do is always buy good coffee and check out different coffee shops. One of the places in Nashville we went to was recommended by our buddy, and it was this place called Barista Parlor. And as soon as I stepped in, I felt so out of place. My, my shirt was too loose. My jeans were too loose. Like, it wasn't stuck to my skin. I didn't have any leather. I didn't have any tattoos. I didn't have the part. My head wasn't shaved on the sides and the back. I look like a total foreigner, not my skin, but by the way I dressed and felt. I was a complete foreigner. I was not cool enough to be in barista parlor. But the only thing I had that could connect me to them was my love for coffee. And that's what I immediately did. I went to the barista and I asked them about different kinds of coffee. There were origin, whether it was washed or not. Why? So that I could show them I belong. <laughs> I might not look like it, smell like it, but I know my coffee, and they embrace me. For us, as we remember who we are, as we get on our knees, and we pray, and we look to Scripture, as we look to our baptism, as we go to the table this morning, we can be secure because Christ loves us. We are his workmanship. We are loved. We are joint heirs with Christ. And because of that, we can go anywhere into our workplaces and love, be salt and light, just like Daniel, to be able to be blameless and know that, Lord, we could have our place in this world and have an impact wherever that might be, wherever God has called you. But it's also because of that that Daniel, through his prayer, is calm and finds comfort and peace in a time of unbelievable strife and conflict. What's going on? First, there's this king's decree, right? He knows it. He can be sentenced to death, thrown into the lion's den. And not only that, but he is thrown into the lion's den. And throughout this entire passage, listen, through this entire passage, there is this thick irony that exists. Why? Because Daniel is absolutely calm. While King Darius and all of his servants are going crazy. They are beside themselves. How? Look at this. King Darius. Verse 14. We, you see these words, much distress. He's laboring. Verse 18. Sleep fled from him. Verse 19, 
he went away in haste. Verse 20, he was anguished in his heart. One commentator said this, he goes without food, entertainment, and sleep. He is powerless to help and driven to despair. He loves Daniel, but his helplessness suggests to us that it is better to be a child of faith in a den of lions than a king in a palace without faith. So King Darius is going crazy. He's, he's anxious. He's running around sleepless, tired. He's laboring. He's distressed. He's in anguish. But not only King Darius, look at the king's servants. These guys who are trying to do office politics. They are busy worry works. At one time, they are thronging the king, disguising the truth from him, trying to play office politics. At another, they are gathering at a vantage point from which to trap Daniel. At, at another, they are anxiously maneuvering Darius into fulfilling his decree. I mean, they're going bonkers. But what's going on with Daniel? Daniel alone has peace. He alone has access to the source of all power. He gets on his knees three times a day and continues to pray to his heavenly father. Do you know throughout this entire passage, Daniel only speaks once. He's silent through the entire passage except for once in verse 21 when he responds to the king saying that he is okay and God has protected him. Otherwise, Daniel doesn't speak through this chaotic, messed up story. He alone has peace. He alone is calm. He demonstrate, demonstrates trust and goes along his usual business without laboring more than he has to. You see that? It's prayer that calms Daniel to have a heart of trust and faith and shalom because of who God is and not because of himself. God has continued to trust, to, to prove his trustworthiness, to prove his sovereignty. And Daniel trusts that and can go on his knees knowing that the Lord will be faithful. But the last thing we see about prayer is not only prayer imprisons Daniel to show us who we are in our identity, not only calms us in the midst of horrible circumstances, but lastly, we see that prayer delivers Daniel. Prayer delivers Daniel. Now, I know we look at a passage like this, and we could say, well, these miracles is exactly why I can't trust the Bible. That is the one thing that holds me from believing and putting my faith in this Christian, in, in Christianity. But if you remember, back in the Gospel of John, when we went through that, one of the things I mentioned about miracles, you know, a lot of times we look at miracles as, a, as this suspension of the ordinary, suspension of the natural order of the way things are supposed to work, whether through science, physics. But when the God of the Bible and Jesus comes into the picture. Miracles aren't this suspension from natural order or science. Rather, what miracles point us to is actually a, a restoration, a renewal of the way that things are actually meant to be. Do you see that? 
It is because of brokenness. It's because of sin that entered into this world that things aren't the way it's supposed to be. So when Jesus comes into the picture through the Gospels, he does these miracles not as a suspension of natural order, but the way that things are supposed to be. That we're supposed to not experience death or sickness. We're actually supposed to experience the shalom that we all are meant to experience. Restoration, no conflict, no war, no pain, no tears. And that's what Christ does through his ministry, is to show us a very small glimpse of what we will be able to experience when Christ comes back. And that's what this pictures. This lion's den story pictures the restoration, the resurrection that we will all experience. Look at verse 23. No injury whatever was found on Daniel because he believed in his God. You see, not a scratch, nothing. And that is exactly what will happen when Christ comes back with his second coming. There will be no scratch. We will be as we were supposed to be, perfect in our human specimen. No more injury, no more tears, no more cancer, no more death, no more tears, no more broken relationships. We will be able to experience the resurrection as God always meant us to experience. See, that's what we have to hope in. It's when we get our knees and pray. We are praying with this amazing hope that we will be able to experience no more wrath, no more injustice, no more pain, no more suffering. And that's what our prayers are for. But not only does it point to our resurrection, it also looks back to Christ's resurrection. Because in this story, it's not about being like Daniel. You know, dare to be a Daniel. You have that. You sung that maybe if you grew up in Sunday school. It's in our Trinity hymnal. But it's not about daring to be Daniel. Because what this points at is that it actually points to the greater Daniel, Jesus. How? You see, Jesus was falsely accused by his enemies and brought before a ruler. Like Daniel, Jesus was condemned to die. And his body was actually placed into a sealed pit so that his situation could not be changed by human intervention. Like Daniel, Jesus' trial went in even deeper, though. He did not merely suffer the threat of death. He went in down into the pit and died the death that we were supposed to deserve. He suffered the fate of the guilty ones, us. There was no angel to comfort Daniel. He was left utterly alone and abandoned by God, suffering the fate that we all deserve. His body was left entombed in the icy grip of death for three days before an angel finally came to roll away the stone. And yet Jesus' experience itself was a foreshadowing of that final judgment that he took for us. You see that? It's for us who put our faith 
in Christ that we experience any kind of judgment. That is our grace. That is our life. That is the restoration and the renewal and the hope that we get to experience. See, Christ was imprisoned. Christ was the calm one. He was silent. Christ was delivered. And because of Christ, we can go through the small lion's dens that we experience because Christ went through the ultimate lion's den for us. And because of that, we can trust in him. The lion's den den of singleness. The lion's den of death and sickness and cancer. The lion's den of failed marriages and broken marriages. The lion's den of office politics. The lion's den of fractured relationships and friendships. The lion's den of loneliness. We can go through it because Christ ultimately went through it himself. And that's why we can trust. Not because we can have enough courage. Because Christ has endured and gone through it for us. It's like when we go, when our kids are young enough and they're scared of going down the slide. What do you do? You don't just say go down the slide. Have enough courage. We go down that slide for them. We go down that slide first for them to show them it's okay. Or we go down with them the second time to show them I'm with you. But more so, when we experience pain and suffering, there's amazing hope in this resurrection that we will experience. And that's how we're to pray. Knowing our identity. Knowing our trust in him. And having that peace but also hoping in the resurrection that is to come. We can trust and live on our knees together as the body of Christ. Let me share this story that I read not too long ago from a pastor who was the president of Covenant Seminary, Brian Chapel. And I'll read this to you, but it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to trust and believe and to live our lives knowing that through whatever lines that we go through, we will be able to live with hope. Four more days, and she would be 17. It would be her father's birthday too, but this year, there would be no party. America was mired in the Great Depression, and her father was dying. Instead of gathering gifts, the family gathered around a rickety bed and prayed over the sound of his labored breathing. On the day of the funeral, the girl's mother with her seven children trudged through the mud to a simple grave. A small crowd of women friends also came. The men could not or would not afford the time off work. This teenage girl who could only find work as a maid had to borrow a dress for the occasion. When the family went home, she carefully folded it smooth and lay next to it on her bed. A sense of desolation seemed to crushed the 17-year-old. It was over. Not just the funeral, but everything was over. Seven kids, no real income, the house so heavily mortgaged, it would not be theirs for long. She was old enough to know things, she, she was old enough to know things and to despair because of them. Even the silence of the room seemed to weigh on her and choke hope out of her. And then she heard it. Breaking the oppressive silence came the tentative whisk-whisk of a broom on the kitchen floor. Then the sound came again, more determined this time. Whisk-whisk. Her mother had not spoken for three days. 
Her mother, who had not spoken for three days, was reassuming her household duties. The broom went whisk, whisk, and the sound said more than her mother could voice. Life goes on. All is not lost. We have trusted the Lord and will still trust him. We will press on and live again. Later in the 17-year-old's diary, the girl would write how powerful was the gentle sound of her mother taking up that simple household task and kindling new hope and faith in the child's heart. The world is not entirely fallen in. All is not lost. There is hope. Life will go on. All of this was said in the sound of a broom, which indicated there were still things worth doing. Her mother was pressing on. The assumption of the duties of everyday life was itself an expression of a faith that there was a future. In the gentle rhythm of the broom came a prayer of hope and triumph over trial. Whisk, whisk went the broom, and in the repeat of each stroke and countersweep, it whispered, trust and live, trust and live. It was enough. The girl rose from the bed to ready and to take up her own tasks and to resume her life with new courage and hope. Many difficulties still lay ahead. The tragedy had not vanished. She would face more tragedy later in her life. Far away in future days, a primitive people in South America would kill her missionary husband, Jim Elliott, leaving her, like her mother, alone to raise children. But never again would life be empty, hopeless or purposeless. All the what shall we do or what comes next questions have been answered in the faith prayer of her mother's broom. Trust and live, trust and live. Many times in life, she would recall that prayer and pray it in her heart to reclaim the hope and courage needed for the challenges of a new day. That 17-year-old girl was Elizabeth Elliot, and it was this prayer that continued to give her the hope to trust and live. May that be our prayer to the little lion's dens that we go through, that we could trust and live, get on our knees, and pray before the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and that is my prayer for us as crossroads, that we would trust and live, trust and live through the lion's den of singleness, of hopelessness, of despair, of anxiety, of suffering, of sickness, of cancer, of finances, Lord, I pray that we will be able to get on our knees and to be able to pray this prayer of trust and live because of who you are and what you have done, that we'll be able to look to you every single day of our lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the table this morning, this is this opportunity that we have to look to our Jerusalem to be able to see what Christ has done for us on the cross, on the cross of, of Calvary. There is our hope that he went through the ultimate lion's den so that no matter what we go through, we can have faith. Yes, we experience pain and suffering, but Christ went through far more so that we would be able to have hope that the story is not over, but as we eat and drink together, we might be able to have a little more courage a little more faith, a little more hope for this week, whatever the Lord calls us into. May that be our prayer and hope this morning as we eat and feast upon Christ. Let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to do that for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. That Lord, what we have in comfort 
in your spirit, in hope for what is the future. Lord, you did not have. You experienced the ultimate rejection, the condemnation and judgment that is never ours. So, Lord, I pray that as we eat and drink together, may that be our hope, may that be our sustenance this morning. May you do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The night that our Lord was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. The same manner he also took of the cup, said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. For as long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he returns. Brothers and sisters, come and eat. Be encouraged. We don't need to be like Daniel, but we can find our hope and faith in Christ and what he's done for us. For some of us, you might not have placed your faith in Christ just yet. You might not be a follower of Christ, and that's okay. Let these elements pass by you. We're just glad you continue to come in through these doors every single week. Some of you are involved in our community group. Uh, but let these elements pass by you because I don't want to ask you to do something that you cannot yet say that you believe in. It's by faith that we find our hope and courage and strength this morning. And so for those who have placed their faith in Christ, uh, take and eat and let's enjoy and rejoice in what Christ has done for us. There is gluten-free option, let the ushers know. And if you can't have wine, there's grape juice on the outer ring of each of these plates. Let's come to the table and rejoice in what Christ has done for you and for me. Let's eat and drink, hold, and we'll take it together, signifying our unity in the body of Christ. Still support. 